0: All right, welcome to the listener's commentary on Romans 14. At this point in the letter of Romans, we come to really a culminating moment in the letter. And so we want to make sure we're really understanding what's going on here in chapter 14, really through the first half of chapter 15 as well, so that we hear Paul's point and what Paul is actually arguing for in this section, because in so many ways, all the theology that He has been working through from chapters 1 through 13, have arrived at this moment where he's going to deal with a very specific issue that threatens to divide, it is dividing the Roman church. And we need to hear what he says so that we can embody the principles and the spirit of what he says in our churches today. And in a general sense, the issue that Paul is dealing with here is how do we relate to one another? In view of different opinions about things that, in the long run, really don't matter, and on which God is like, live and let live. That's the central issue, at least at a general level. Now, for them, it had some very, very specific details, and Paul is going to address it in terms of those details. And that's why we need to pay attention so closely and make sure we hear the original context well so that we can from that context deduce the principles that speak to our circumstances and our situations as well today and Paul's handling of this topic covers 14:1 through 15:13 so really a chapter and a half Paul devotes to this and like I said in a, in so many ways it is the culminating moment in the letter because Paul's like all right now let's get really concrete Really specific and really practical about how you're going to live out your justification by faith in relationship to people who are very different from you, who have a different cultural heritage than you, and who even understand their faith different than you. How are you going to live that out as the people of God? So let's talk a little bit about the original situation before beginning to walk through the text and look at some of the details. All right. So as Paul's Argument unfolds, it becomes clear there are two groups that he's addressing, and Paul uses the labels strong and weak for the two different groups. And we need to understand who those two groups are and then think clearly about that. All right. So, the one group is the weak, and the weak are those who aren't sure whether or not it's right to eat meat and who feel it's necessary to observe some sort of sacred calendar. That's the weak. Uh, and the the reason the meat eating is an issue is because virtually all meat in the ancient world came from the pagan temples and the offerings to pagan gods. And so that raised real questions for people like, should we eat that meat or not? And so some the weak here are like, no, 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 man, we shouldn't eat that meat. And they also feel it's necessary to observe some sort of ritual calendar, the Jewish calendar, Sabbath and new moons, right, and all the festivals, that calendar, or some sort of ritual calendar. They have some issue with days, Paul says. The strong, on the other hand, are free from both of these scruples. They don't have any issue eating the meat, and they feel no need to value and weigh certain days above the other. They have no attachment to a religious calendar. And what's really important for us to realize is that Paul doesn't think the lines between these two groups are a distinguishable straight down the line of Jew and Gentile. And sometimes commentators and Bible teachers almost seem to make that assumption that, oh, the strong are the one group and the weak are the other group. Or like the weak are the Jews who are still stuck in their uh, you know, clean meat and all that, and the the stronger, the Gentiles, and they they're free from these things. And no, the, the lines aren't that clear for Paul. And the reason we know that is because in fifteen one, as Paul's continuing this conversation, Paul includes himself among the strong. So he includes himself as a Jew in the group that is free to eat whatever meat he wants to eat and who doesn't feel a need to be attached to some sort of religious or ritual calendar. So he, as a Jew, includes himself in the strong, and this indicates for us that the lines between strong and weak are blurred among Jews and Gentiles, meaning that there are some Jews in the strong category and some Gentiles, and there are some Jews and Gentiles in the weak category. There's a mixture of both. And that probably is why Paul doesn't use the language of Jew and Gentile until right at the very end of this discussion. Next question we need to wrestle with is, what's the apparent relationship between the strong and the weak? And as you read through what Paul says in these paragraphs, it becomes clear that there's tension between the strong and the weak. And Paul sees the fundamental solution as welcoming Our translation will say accepting, and we'll note that that's a pretty weak translation. It's more welcoming, it's more receiving. It's not just, oh yeah, I accept him, he can have his opinion if he wants. No, it's the concrete, tangible activity of actually welcoming each other, especially the strong welcoming the weak. And that implies that there's actually some sort of standoffishness between the two groups. They're not really associating with each other, they're kind of keeping their distance from each other, they're not interfacing with each other and interacting with each other. And so they need to welcome each other. And uh, we learn from reading the words here that there's a certain sense in which the The strong are looking down on the weak and they want to kind of poke fun at their opinions and their their silly religious scruples. And the weak are uh, criticizing the strong and thinking the strong are loose moral and they really don't love people and they don't really care about people, right? And so there's tension between these two groups. And what's Paul's major concern in this section Well, Paul's major concern is with Christian fellowship. It's not with personal piety. He's dealt with that already in 12 and 13. It's with Christian fellowship. The argument begins in 14.1 with welcome or accept or receive. The idea is you guys have got to learn to fellowship with each other and get along with each other and interact with each other. So welcome. And then... The discussion ends in 15.7-13, the final paragraph, saying the same thing. So welcome one another just as Christ welcomed you. And that's the concern. That's Paul's primary thing, that um, we are to find a way to overcome our differences so that we can actually welcome one another together because that's going to bring God more glory. In fact, in 15.6, Paul will say, I'm saying all of this because I want you to glorify God together with one voice. I want you to do this together with one voice. And, and this reminds us that justification by faith isn't just about my own personal relationship with God. Justification by faith also includes my interactions with my relationship with my Christian brothers. And so the people who are justified by faith have to learn to have fellowship by faith in the Spirit and the welcome of Jesus. So to pull all that together and to summarize the situation that lies behind Paul's teaching in Romans 14, 1 through 15, 13, here it is. There are some in the churches of Rome who have what Paul calls a strong view of their freedom in Christ, and there are some who have a weak view of their freedom in Christ. Those with the strong view recognize that the boundary marker for being a part of the people of God in the Messiah is faith in Jesus, right? It's not food and days, it's faith in Jesus. And they, being the strong ones, tend, for whatever reason, to look down on those who haven't worked out these implications of their faith, the weak. And those with the weak view then respond back towards those with the strong view by criticizing them or judging them. And now there is really a fracture among the different groups within the church there in Rome. And Paul wants to... Uh, resolve all that so that they can be reconciled and learn how to interact with each other. And what we need to realize is these are deep-seated, emotion-filled issues that maybe we don't feel the emotions because we don't get the cultural implications right. We don't understand the whole meat issue. We don't understand the whole ritual calendar and the attachment to that. But for them, these are deep-seated, emotion-filled issues that uh, are keeping the Christians from loving one another and interacting with one another, and in a real concrete, practical way, eating together, which is Paul's central solution to the problem, is you guys need to learn how to eat together. So with that, let's jump into Romans 14, and we'll work down through verse 12 in the rest of this recording, and then we'll pick up the next section in the next recording. So Romans 14, 1 through 12, begins a discussion by attempting to put all parties involved in their proper place, which means they need to be arranged under the lordship of Christ and accountable only to God. In fact, as you read this paragraph, make sure you pay attention to the emphasis on the word Lord in this paragraph. Jesus is Lord. You are not. So you need to let Jesus be the one to whom they are accountable to. That's really at the heart of Romans 14, 1 through 12. So let's pick up and read through and work through some of the details. Beginning in verse 1, it reads like this, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not to have quarrels over opinions. Uh, We already noted that the word accept there in verse 1 would be better translated welcome or "receive," Because we hear the word accept and we think in terms of, oh yeah, I accept him. He's free to have that, but we don't want to have anything to do with him. It's very clear as you read through what Paul says, he means by accept, you got to have to do with him. You got to interact with him. I want you to welcome him in this word. Except usually is translated that way as welcome. So now welcome the one who is weak in faith, but not to have quarrels over opinions. Not to right debate or to criticize right or to poke fun at, at the different views. Right. So welcome one another, not just so that you can sit there and wrangle and wrestle and argue over your opinions. Paul doesn't want that going on. And then he goes on and he says this. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats only vegetables. And so you've got one person. Notice the individual, too. He's focusing on individual persons because this is our own individual responsibility. So one person has faith that he may eat anything, all things, meat, veggies, whatever he wants. But the one person who is weak eats only vegetables. In verse 3, he says, The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And so... If you think, oh, it's fine to eat whatever meat you want, well, don't look down on and don't regard with contempt. Don't scorn the one who chooses not to eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Don't judge him as if somehow he's doing something wrong, for God has accepted him. Notice that God has welcomed him. And so don't judge the eater because God's welcomed him. And then he says in verse four, who are you to judge the servant of another? Like, is it your place to judge the servant of God? No. To his master, or to his lord—literally, to his own lord—he stands or falls, and so he's accountable to his own master, his own lord. He's God's servant, and so he'll be accountable to God, and he'll stand or fall before Him with God's assessment of him. And he says, "And and stand, he will. He will stand. Why? Because the Lord's able to make him stand. The Lord is able to stand him up, and so." It's God's grace. It's the Lord's grace, the Lord's power that's going to help him stand, and and he's accountable only to him. In the next sentence, Paul takes up the ritual calendar issue, verse 5. One person values one day over another. This is the issue of days and weeks and calendar, right? One person values one day over another, and another verse person values all days the same. They're like, eh, we don't need that calendar. We don't need to have a Sabbath. We don't need to have a ritual holiday, right? We value all days the same. Each person, he says, must be fully convinced in his own mind. If you think it's good and helpful for you to have a ritual calendar, go for it. If not, then go for it, right? Like, You each choose and you each be convinced in your own mind. He says in verse 6, the one who observes the day, the one who has the ritual calendar, observes it for the Lord. And the one who eats does so with regard for the Lord. And so notice in that same sentence, he has the weak, the one who observes the calendar, he does it for the Lord. And he has the strong, the one who eats, does so with regard to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And so both the weak and the strong are trying to honor God. And that's why Paul puts them together side by side there in verse 6. They're both doing what they can uh, with their own conscience sake to try to please and honor God. And they're giving thanks to God for it. And then he says, and the one who doesn't eat, that's the weak again. Well, he does it for the Lord. It's for the Lord that he doesn't eat. And he gives thanks to God. And so each person in whatever group they're in, Paul says, is trying to honor God. And they're giving thanks to God. And they're living their life under God. And so we need to respect that, right? We need to honor them for that. He says in verse 7 For not one of us lives for himself, not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. That's who we are. We belong to him, we're his servant. He's our Lord. He's our master. We give him thanks. We're trying to honor him. And so we belong to him. We are the Lord's. And so he says in verse nine, for to this end, Christ died and rose again, lived again, that he might be both the Lord of the dead and of the living. And so whoever we are, whatever group we're in, if you think this is a life and death issue, then guess what? Jesus is the Lord of the dead and the living because he died and rose again. Now, all of that in verses 5 through 9 is really a commentary on what he said in verse 4 about who are you to judge the servant of another. And that's why he's emphasized that both groups, individuals in both groups, belong to the Lord. They are his. And so he comes back in verse 10 then to that issue of judging the other person. But as for you, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Recall that just above in verse three, he spoke to the weak and he said, don't judge the one who eats. And so now he asks the question, why do you you judge them? The Lord's the one who's in charge. The Lord has the right to do the judging, not you. So why do you judge your brother or your sister? And remember that he said to the strong, why do you treat him with contempt? And so look what he says here in verse 10. He says, or you as well. Why do you regard your brother or sister with contempt? for we all will appear before the judgment seat of God every single one of us as God's people are going to be accountable to God and we will God will be the one that'll sort out right from wrong he will be the one that will hold each of us accountable he will be the one that will give each of us the reward we deserve we don't need to worry about doing that so Why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you hold him in contempt just because they have a different opinion than you? We will all appear before the judgment seat of God. And then Paul quotes a passage um, from Isaiah 49, a well-known passage about all of us standing before the, the judgment of God. So verse 11, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. And so everybody's going to bow before the Lord. The Lord is in charge. He is the one to whom we're accountable. And so Paul ends this section by saying, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And so on these matters of opinion where Christians have legitimate disagreement, in this case, ritual calendars and eating vegetables only or eating meat and vegetables, Paul's point is, look, we all are going to be accountable to God. God knows each of our motives, each of our hearts far better than even we know our own. And so rather than judging and treating with contempt our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's welcome one another and learn to interact with each other with humility and grace as servants of the living God to whom we alone are accountable.